Tell me, do we have time for another number? Oh, I think so, Jimmy. What tune do you have in mind? back listeners to another episode of drinking matters today with me i have host of project icarus gaming's podcast and you can also find him on twitch at jelly jugs anthony thank you anthony for coming on to this podcast hey what's up guys how's it going all right man first of all how have you been man i'm gonna start with the simple questions good um you know quarantine's been unbearable (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's probably the best way you can describe quarantine yeah. i mean what, what else can you say <laughs> yeah been home you know just yeah video gaming chilling whatever you know <laughs> no that's good that's good man um so let's just get straight to the point over here uh the reason i brought you onto this podcast is because uh you are a video game journalist right yes yes okay so uh just with anything that has to do just like with anything that has to do with video game uh video gaming i always feel like it's necessary to ask experiences that we've had with video games because i feel like most outlets out there now always have their journalists you know tell us what their details are their history with video gaming so before we move on with the topic uh quick little discussion how what's your history with gaming like how long have you been gaming what games have you played favorite game i grew grew up playing super nintendo Uh (laughs) um and i've been playing games ever since then uh i'm mostly a playstation uh, consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played. I have owned all the Playstations. Um, no, no biases here, but still, I just I've always preferred the PlayStation uh, exclusives over okay. Xbox. But I am open to um, all consoles and PC gaming and everything else. But uh, when I do look up gaming news, I am open. I cover it all, so I don't just stick to one platform to one outlet essentially so you started out with the super nintendo essentially going into modern console gaming would you say more you're you're more of a console gamer or more of a pc gamer yeah no i am more of a console gamer i just recently got a pc Uh a gaming pc um so i'm still kind of working my way through gaming Mm -hmm. uh, on pc but uh for the most part i play on console Gotcha, gotcha. Now, do you, you know, this is kind of like a simple, serious, like, little silly question, but, I mean, do you feel like there's a difference in, or even a legitimate reason as to why, you know, there's the console war going on, or, like, PC versus console? Do you feel like people are justified in arguing that sort of stuff, or you're just kind of like, whatever? Um, I mean, I get why PC gamers are, like, so uh, biased towards their PC. I mean, having this gaming PC... Playing like games like Call of Duty on it, it's like why haven't I been playing on PC all my life? But <laughs> I mean, not everybody can afford a thousand dollar gaming PC. No, so, of course. <laughs> um, it's just better, to, you know. Console gaming, it give it satisfies you know. It, you can play the game that you can, that you want, and you're not running it at a crazy you know high frame rate, but it's still you, it gets the job done. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> all right, so you are. Would you say? Would you classify yourself as a video game journalist? Yes, um, aspiring video game journalist. I do do a podcast about journalism, um, gaming news, mm-hmm. but I'm still trying to. I'm building my ranks. You're building up your like reputation, pretty much your works yeah. and profiling, right? That's good, yeah. man. That's good. Um, so, what is your history with the journalistic aspect of it, then? Um, I've done a couple reviews. Um, I've beta tested a few games. Um, I've even wrote about like. Um, consoles and like how they've evolved Mm -hmm. i did something for my school paper yeah i was noticing that i think um yeah and how the game video games is just more is more than what people perceive it to be and and now that gaming has evolved more people are kind of seeing it as a different media outlet and you know just like movies and tv shows video games are kind of getting that respect <laughs> so you go from from reviewing video games so you don't only review video games but you also talk about like the art aspect of it and you know the impact it's had on society and all these other different things that come with video games right more recently yeah. more recently yeah, yeah. it's interesting because i think um and we'll talk about this later on in the podcast but i think one of the biggest examples that's you know probably most people have heard of is the last of us the original one mm-hmm. uh-huh and i remember when that one came out when was it 2013 uh, 14? 2013. It's been seven years since 
the first one. Okay, so 13-14. I remember when that game came out, it was essentially the big game that everyone was talking about in sense of is video gaming art. Uh, not just because visually it was fantastic, but the storytelling aspect was phenomenal. It looked like you were playing a movie, essentially, and a lot of people felt really attached to the characters. Kind of like one of those like really impactful TV shows or movies that you have to sit through the whole thing and you get really attached to the characters and you end up crying about it afterwards. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's, that's the kind of experience you've had with the writing aspect of uh, video gaming as well, right? Yes. Uh, can you give us any examples of maybe works that you've possibly done? Um, let's see, I'm trying to think. Uh, I did one on, what was it, a while back. It was for a small website. It was called E-Info, E-Info Gaming. Um, and it was basically just talking about violence mm-hmm. in video games. And just how, um, how video games, you know, there's the story and aspect of it. Kind of, if you can see past the violence, you can kind of understand, you know, just like in movies, mm-hmm. they're, you know, unfortunately, you know, when, when someone's controlling a character and, and causing the violence, it's different than just watching it on TV. So I've talked about that before in, in the CNFO Gamer. The website is not around anymore, at least I don't think it is. Let me see. Um, but, yeah, we, we had a big old, uh, opinion article on that. Gotcha. It's kind of funny that that's the – because I remember doing for high school, uh, my senior project, or in my high school uh, – I used to, there was this thing in order for you to graduate, you used to do a senior project, essentially like this year or semester long paper presentation project that you then had to present at the end of the year. And I remember mine was on the topic of video game violence. This was like early 2011 when I brought this up. Um, and it's still, it, it's, it's a, it's still a topic that goes on today. I mean, back yeah, then in 2011, recently, um, yeah. like with Fortnite, uh, they had to change kills to eliminations just because they said that kills was too hard of a word for it to have it to for it to maintain a rated t rating Mm -hmm. so they had to change to eliminations instead of kills basically like like, an arena (laughs) kind of style yeah yeah it's like a gladiator fight or whatever you don't kill the person but you eliminate them out of of contention essentially i didn't even know about that i mean i haven't played fortnite in i think maybe like two years I barely touched that game, so I didn't know. That's that's actually really interesting. Um, so the topic I want to get to, oh, well, before we do, you know, I think it was important for us to discuss pretty much our experiences with video games. I think you've okay, you've you've pretty much explained everything that you've had with your video game history, unless you wanted to add something else. Uh, that I mean, that's basically it. I mean, I, I have a Switch. I I play all I play all video games. You know, Pokemon and. You have a hand in everything, essentially. Yeah. You have a hand in anything. You've had experience writing and stuff like that. Uh, In terms of my history with video gaming, I've been playing since I was a kid. I think my first console ever was an original Game Boy that was gifted me by my dad. I was born in 83. So I know that the Game Boy came out, you know, a couple years before that. But uh, he actually had one. He gifted it to me. Then I went on to the Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64, GameCube, PlayStation, PlayStation 2, uh, the Wii, the Wii U. So I've had my hand in pretty much every major console that's been out there. I think the PlayStation 2 is the last one I've had uh, a good grasp on. And then I jumped to the Xbox 360, the Xbox One, and the Xbox One X. Um, I play a, light, a wide variety of games. Uh, more recently, I've had to put them away just because I've been really busy with stuff. But, you know, platformers backed with Super Mario, Yoshi's Island, Paper Mario, uh, Star Fox, uh, things like that I used to play a lot of. Huge fan of the Assassin's Creed franchise, so I've had my experiences with that as well. Uh, now I'm going back into it, so I'm playing a little bit more, trying to get 100% on some games and stuff. So I've had experiences with you know multiple genres of games as well. Journalistic-wise, I wouldn't say that I've had anything written anything specifically about it. I've never worked with journalists and stuff like that, so I'm going to be really interested talking to you about this sort of stuff because the topic for today is going to be video game journalism and its legitimacy in the community. Uh... It's been brought up a lot more recently with The Last of Us 2 coming out. Uh, I believe as of recording today, it came out last week, right? Yes. Yes. So Last Friday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last Friday. So it was a huge game. It was the most anticipated game for 2020, I would say. Would you say it would be the most anticipated game for 2020? Uh, for, for PlayStation exclusives, yes. Okay, yeah, you're right. Because then I'm thinking about Cyberpunk as well. Mm-hmm. That's also the game that's going to be like the big seller for this year. 
if it yeah. decides to come out this year, you know, because, yeah. you know, God forbid another another uh, delay after November 19th. Um, but The Last of Us 2 has had some sort of controversy out in this, out in basically the, uh, the consumer sphere. Uh, essentially, it was the most exclusive or it's the most anticipated PlayStation exclusive um, this year. It went on to sell millions of copies, essentially. Uh, I think it became the most uh, sold PlayStation exclusive title in history of PlayStation. Uh, I, I saw something like that. Something, but it I, was, yeah. Let me see. Oh. But yeah, I, it sold 4 million copies. <laughs> 4 million. So yeah, it, it's probably the most sold uh, PlayStation game of all time. Uh, and then reviewers praise it. And we're talking about video game journalists... Spanning from IGN, GameSpot, Kotaku, Polygon, all these journalists essentially uh, were praising this game to be the best game scoring 8 out of 10 or higher on the scale. Uh, As of the time of recording, let me see. As of the time of recording, was 2, we're going to go to the metric, Metacritic. Uh, where are you at? So it's got a 94 on Metascore. So that's essentially the com- like a compiling of uh, journalist reviews. Uh, so 94 out of 100. And then the user score, weirdly enough, a 4.8, which was a point yeah. more than last week. Because from what I remember, it was like at a 3 last mm-hmm. week. Yeah, I remember seeing that. <laughs> it was low. It was like it was ridiculously low. Uh, so there's a big, big split. Uh, from what journalists are seeing and from what video games are seeing. Uh, so, is there an issue with The Last of Us 2? You have played this game, and you said that before we recorded that you finished this, right? Yes, I beat it yesterday. Okay, so before we talk about video game journalism, what did you think of The Last of Us 2? You can include, if it's spoilers, just tell me if there's spoilers ahead. I, I really don't uh, mind. I haven't played it yet, but I don't mind. Uh, I'll try to keep it spoiler-free just because it, it is a game that you should that everyone should play. Uh-huh. Um, I personally would give this game an 8.5. Okay. Um, a lot of, I've been reading a lot of different reviewers um, and watching a lot of reviews on this game. And a lot of the opinions that come from the bad scores is just because of a killing of, of a particular character that got leaked back in February um, before the game even came out. Someone leaked, someone from Naughty Dog, a disgruntled employee, uh, leaked uh, that one of the characters dies in the game. Mm-hmm. And he is a main character, and he dies pretty early on in the game. So it's kind of like a lot of people were upset about that, and they were kind of protesting the game. And we're already kind of giving a ne- negative reviews about it. Pretty much, this Come, is one a lot of people anticipated. They kind of wanted this individual to just say, "You're gonna stay alive," essentially. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Um, so playing the game, even when beating it. So what, the thing is that when you play the game, the person that kills the character, you get to play as her, the the person. So you get to see the motivation behind her, behind why they, she killed. Okay, so is it the motivation or is it the journey up to that part? Uh, so it's both. So you, it has a lot of ba- uh, flashbacks. So before going further into the podcast, a little spoiler warning. Uh, we didn't really plan going into spoiler territory for The Last of Us 2 or The Last of Us, but we felt like it was kind of needed to further continue the conversation. So if you don't want to hear any spoilers, I'll leave a time code in the description below where you can go ahead and skip anything that we feel is deemed spoilery for the video game. So if you want to avoid spoilers, here's your warning. You've got three, two, one. Um, so just kind of make it a little bit easier. So Joel is the guy that dies. Uh-huh. Abby is a new character that they introduced in this game. And if you play the first one, Ellie is supposed to be the cure for this disease that's going on. And so Joel finds out that in order for them to get the cure, they essentially have to kill Ellie. And this is in the first one. Yes, in the first one. Uh So he doesn't want that. So he rescues Ellie and he goes on a murder spree in the hospital and kills everybody. And it just so happens that the person that he kills in the hospital is the doctor, which happens to be Abby's father. So she's mad and she wants revenge, basically. So the four years... It takes place four years after part two uh, of her just having this, like, anger towards Joel and on a quest to find him and just essentially just murder him. 
It's a revenge so, story, essentially. Yeah, revenge story, yes. Okay. So, it's back and forth. Ali wants revenge on Abby for her, her killing Joel. And then Abby got her revenge, and now she's kind of just, like, living in her life. She's anticipating someone coming after her, but she's just, like, she's going about her life, basically. So, both sides are it's just a revenge story. Gotcha. Um, but for me, personally, uh, I mean, and this is just biased towards the character Abby, the story never really settles, like, like her killing Joel, like, I just didn't feel, like, remorse when she killed him. Or why she had to kill him. Like, I understand it's her father. But it was just, like, even the, the friends that she had around her when she kills him, they're telling her to stop. But she still continues and goes on and kills him anyways. That's interesting. And she, okay. And so she kills him in front of Ellie. Like, they're holding her down. And she kills oh. him in front of Ellie. Yeah. Okay. So that's how, yeah. So that's kind of how the story goes. So you play the game a good, like, ten hours of Ellie. Till you get to the point where you meet face to face with Abby, uh-huh. and then the game takes you all the way back to the beginning, and then you play as Abby, and her so journey to finding Joel. Her, yeah, so it's kind of like you you built up all you fight all these people, you killed all these, you went on this journey, and then you back to the beginning, and you're like, what? Like, I, I don't see. have to build up my rep- weapons again, build up my skills, upgrade everything all over again, and then you all the way, and then you finally get to the end, and it's just like that was it that was the ending like that that was not what i was expecting for this okay okay that's interesting because okay i haven't played the last of us or the last of us 2 yet i've seen Mm -hmm. and heard of the story uh of the last of us and i really want to get into it just because Mm -hmm. right now it's like 20 bucks he said it was like 10 dollars a couple weeks ago it was on sale so it's like a really cheap game to get and i do have a playstation 4 so i will be planning on buying it and playing through the whole thing and then doing Mm -hmm. the same thing with the last of us 2 Um, so for me, and I know that we have to get to our topic beforehand, I'm just going to put my two cents into this. I have listened to a bunch of people talking about their experiences and their thoughts on The Last of Us 2, and I've heard mixed reviews. I've heard what I'm visually seeing on Metacritic, where people say, you know, players who played it have said, yeah, this is a really, really good game. I really enjoyed it. I thought that the story was really good because, you know, Joel did this, this, and that, and I understood why this needed to happen. Um, I understand that it's a revenge story and all this other stuff, but I've also heard from other people who said, yeah, I can't stand it because the death was like whatever, and it just didn't feel like there was any sympathy towards the death, and, you know, it kind of feels like the characters are just left behind after they die. So my whole aspect of this thing um, is... The, the way I see it, essentially, I look at this as with anything else that's written out on TV or movies. If the death is impactful and it makes you feel bad, like it's not a good death, then the writing is good. So I've been trying to understand why people have hated this game. And it mm-hmm. seems like most of the consensus online is mainly because of that character death and mm-hmm. also because of certain scenes in the video game that have made him feel uncomfortable, sexually speaking. Um, yeah, I've seen that as well. I need to play the game to put in my two cents properly into this. Uh, cause just cause I don't feel comfortable saying, you know, this is pretty much my thought on why people are getting mad and why I don't think people should get mad. I really want to experience it firsthand. Uh, the only yeah. thing that I can relate it to is, uh, the walking dead when, uh, yeah. Glenn gets killed off. Because I've been a fan of the books for years. I've read through all the stuff. And uh, when I read uh, Glenn's death, I, you know, it was anticipated that the show was going to replicate it. It's one thing to read something, and it's another thing to visually see a death like Glenn's where he gets beaten by a bat to the point where mm-hmm. his eyes get gouged out, essentially. I think that that yeah. death, it wasn't a good thing to see. I felt uneasy, and I felt like I needed to throw up afterwards. But that, to me, is pretty much good writing. That's how you depict and make someone feel uncomfortable because these sorts of things aren't supposed to make you feel like, yeah, I saw something like that. It's all right. Mm -hmm. No, you're supposed to feel nauseated and gross and bad about it. It's supposed to make you think afterwards. So I feel like that's kind of my stance on trying to figure out what is going on exactly over here. Um, That's essentially what happens to Joel, too. Joel gets beat to death in front of Ali. So it, it okay. So pretty much, that's kind of the that's kind of what you're getting at is that the death is somewhat meaningful, unlike what other people have been saying, right? Yeah. So okay. the the death the death there is a reason why he dies, and like you know even even in the story itself, Ali gets upset with Joel for rescuing her, 
Gotcha. And, okay. And, yeah. So. Okay. So. Context of The Last of Us Two. If you have not played it, to any listener, if you have not played it, I know we kind of spoiled some stuff there, but I think I haven't even spoiled the ending. Weirdly no, enough, the uh, ending is. <clears throat> At all. Yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I, that's so that's the only thing I'm holding on to to see what, exactly what's going on over there. But to the listeners, if you haven't played The Last of Us Two, haven't heard it, haven't seen it, I really recommend it. There's a lot of YouTubers out there. If you're not a, a you know, not a video game player, that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of YouTubers out there that have let's played the first one. It's a really impactful game. Uh, I showed the first, I think, ten minutes of the first one mm-hmm. to my girlfriend, and she ended up being like, she got she she did not like the first 10 minutes. She felt really uncomfortable. Um, so. and, and that's one thing that people were, were kind of, it being a sequel, a lot of people were waiting for that moment, that like heartfelt, you know, like, oh my God, that happened. Uh-huh. And and it, it never comes. And, you know, Joel's death is supposed to kind of be that. But it isn't. But it just, it, it, but because people, like, and, it, and I was watching a review, I mean, an interview with, with the creator, and he was saying that, where people put themselves in these characters, like any in any book or anything that you watch, mm-hmm. but we're supposed to play this game as them, like they are who they are, and we're just observers. So you're going to be doing things in the game that you wouldn't do typically. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. So I, I've seen that. I mean, for me, it was Ezio Aldatore from Assassin's Creed Two. Mm-hmm. I that's probably the one character that I can relate to, or not relate to, but put myself in. And felt really attached to, especially since I went through all three iterations of his games, uh, mm-hmm. from his youth to his adulthood to his old life and witnessing his death in the last one. I think that like once you really attach yourself to a character, you can appreciate the ending and you know finale arc to their life essentially. So I can understand why people are probably upset with Joel's death, but again, I have to play it. I have to see what it's like. Um, so that was just some context, pretty much, to what's about to what we're about to discuss. Uh, that is the big deal, essentially, with what's going on with video game journalism, and it's a big topic right now, uh, especially with people trying to find legitimacy in video game journalism and having this joke going around that you know when people think about video game journalists, calling them journalists is a joke, and we I want to figure out why exactly it is a joke. Um, or if it isn't, because I honestly don't. I think that there are some good journalists out there that you know understand video games and can see certain aspects that consumers might not be able to see. Um, so let me ask you this question first, um, just to get some context there about this. What is video game journalism, and what does it cover in this spectrum? So, video, <clears throat> sorry, video game journalism, to me, it should be, uh, and what it is, is an unbiased overview of what the game, of what the community is. Uh huh. Um, it should, it should be, and this is the way I kind of treat it, um, leave your personal bias at the door basically, and just review the, the product for what it is. The community should be seen as, you know, coming together. We all like to play the games. We all like to, you know, see, but it's, it's hard when you see certain journalists, you know, input their bias in the reviews and stuff. So gaming journalism should just be something that someone can read, get a basic understanding and then see for themselves it shouldn't be something that that you know we can spoon feed you know you and like oh this is what it should be this is what you're gonna think it's an overview and that's what it is gotcha okay um so is their job essentially to overview the games or is it to sell you the games uh it should be to overview the games to sell it's not it shouldn't be the journalism's job to sell you a game um just because if someone who who is interested in buying it, you want to. I mean, same thing with movie reviews. If you want to watch a movie, you're gonna watch a review just to get the gist of it, and then like, all right, I want to go watch it now. Mm-hmm. But you know, other people read reviews differently. They want to know everything about it, and they just want they kind of want to justify it with themselves if it's worth their time. Gotcha. And mm-hmm. each person is different, and it's kind of hard to have it for everyone. Okay. Now, do you feel like more recently a lot of journalists have tried to write their reviews as they're trying to as if they were trying to sell you the game? Or do you not um, see that aspect at all? I don't see that aspect. I think the way the video game reviews are are going nowadays um especially now game uh out, video game outlets have been saying like oh this review was this game was provided by PlayStation mm-hmm. or this game was provided by Nintendo. Because they want they want the users to know that they didn't buy the game themselves. They got it ahead of time, and 
people, a lot of people blame that as, you know, oh, that's, this is why it got a, a 10 out of 10 because PlayStation gave them the game and PlayStation is restricting them on what they can say. And then <clears throat> going based on The Last of Us 2, which is kind of hard, PlayStation restricted reviewers to talk about the second part of the game. So the review was was only able to talk about the first half of the game. They weren't able to mention anything about the second half. That's so that's what, common, that's what got a lot it? of people mad. Huh? That's kind of common because I remember when Persona Five came out, um, Atlas or Atlas essentially told a lot of the reviewers you're only allowed to talk about up to this portion of the game and kind of give an overview thought of your last one, but not anything, no key details to anything about after like a certain date in the game. Um, mm. So I've seen that before, but I don't think that that honestly really affects a reviewer's critique of the game. If essentially you're only reviewing half of the first game and then telling, you know, the rest of the people what your thoughts were on the second part without, you know, spoiling or saying anything about the plot development and stuff like that, it should be fine, no? But as as a journalist, you should be able to freely speak what, you know, your opinion. And like, I see what you mean. Not your opinion, but like what the product is um, and be able to say like this game, you know, Towards the end, like if it, if the game's gonna come out and they give you the free review copy, and they're gonna restrict you what you can say, I say wait until the game has come out to fully give it um, the proper review that it deserves. So you think because, that developers coming in and telling you, listen, Anthony, we're gonna give you this free copy of this game, but you're only allowed to write and talk about the first half. Do you think that that shouldn't be an aspect of video game journalism? It should be free for all. You're allowed to speak about any aspect of it and give the proper spoiler warnings where necessary, right? Yeah. Okay, so that's I yeah that's an interesting point because I didn't think about that. Because so. even even Nintendo's been having this issue right now where <clears throat> if you're a Nintendo uh, affiliate, if you speak anything bad about Nintendo, they drop you out of their program. Ah, oh, they've been you weird though. You so it's like you can't say like anything negative about Nintendo because then they will drop you out of your their program. You won't get games before they're released, and you kind of have to just play catch up with when the game comes out and review the game. So with journalism itself, you know, it's always best to be first, but it's hard when you don't have the games given to you because like last of, like this game, it took me 28 hours to beat. And, you know, someone who gets it early, they have it done, they type it out. And, you know, they just basically have it sitting there until the embargo's up. But someone like me, if I were to review this game, my review's going to come up two, three weeks after the game has been released. And I'm not going to have any restrictions on it, so I can say whatever I want. But because these people are giving, uh, these reviewers are giving the copy early, they're st stuck with only having to be right about these, you know, the certain points of the story. And it kind of impacts the, the whole review in, in itself in general. That's so when you read a review, it's like, this, yeah, this review is only the first half. Mm -hmm. And it's 10 out of 10. And you're like, well, that, that first half of the game wasn't a 10 out of 10. Like, I felt the first half of the game was lower than a 10 out of 10. It was, you know, much lower. But, you know, once it builds up, and the second half of the game is where it actually gets good, and you can't talk about it in your review, it's like, well, that, it, now it just ruins the whole review that you've read because it's like, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. So do you think that most reviewers should be getting the copies the same time as consumers? Or do you think that this whole aspect of them receiving the copies early is a good thing? Because that's an argument that I've also heard as well. That the fact that most reviewers sit on the copies for about maybe a week or two before release and play maybe 50-ish hours of the game. Uh, sometimes it's an, an unfair advantage and it makes it seem like the reviewers are the ones selling the games to the consumers. Like you said, you know... Some reviewers will basically write a 10 out of 10 article for The Last of Us 2. Then the consumer picks it up, they play it, and they say, well, where the hell's the 10 out of 10? I think that this is more of like a 7 out of 10. I thought that this game was going to blow me off my feet, but it never did. Um, I think getting a copy early is beneficial because it does take time to beat it. And as a reviewer and a journalist, you have other games to play. So if you keep having it, you're going to have to backlog everything. And it's gonna, you know, it's gonna slow down the review process. It's kind of like gaming when you would pick up a Game Informer, mm -hmm. and you would see all these like old news. It would be basically old news by the time you got the Game Informer from the next month because it's like this game's already out. This game's already out. Like you know, 
the reviews already been up online, you know, the month before, but now you have the Game Informer, and you're just like, this this is the Game Informer reviews, and it's, it's you know, it's interesting to see how, because the magazine takes about, you know, it takes a while for it to put together and release, but uh-huh. it's different, it's different from now that we have online media to go off of, the, I think the reviewing aspect of video games has changed, and having the game early is essential to writing that article. So, give the reviewers the early access to it. Don't mm-hmm. restrict them about writing up to a certain <clears throat> point and let them freely express what they believe in. Um, that's pretty much your stance on this whole thing, right? Just kind of let yeah. them be with no restrictions at all. I personally like the fact, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna give this like my opinion on this. I like it when reviewers come out with their thoughts on a game two ish days, two or three days before the product comes out. I've always mm-hmm. liked that, and I've seen certain games do that before. I can't put my head around which ones they were. I know that there was one recently that did that, but I've always appreciated that. And the only reason mm-hmm. why is, is as a consumer, you get to make that decision a little bit better. So, you know, recently I've bought games like Doom Eternal, Animal Crossing. I'm trying to think of what some other ones I might have bought mm-hmm. that just came out. Like Those are like the two major ones recently that came out. But I remember... I think one of them had like an early review and I was still set on buying it. Like I didn't have an issue. I already knew what I was expecting with animal crossing and I already knew what I was going to expect with doom eternal, but having reviews come out two or three days early kind of makes those decisions a little bit more solid. I mean, am I willing to spend the 60 ish bucks, 60 plus bucks to buy the game? Um, is it going to be justified or, you know, should I have not done that? And I don't think reviews even, put me in a position where it makes me want to retract my money and say I don't want to buy it. I think it just kind of puts me at ease. Should journalists be doing that with their reviews or is it more again on the fact that they want you to either avoid this game entirely or give it a try? Um I mean I, I think what you with you're saying it, it's all based on the community itself as well. Um mm. people are going to see a review from IGN whether they're a fan of IGN or not. They're gonna if they give it a ten out of ten, they're gonna be like IGN always gives games ten out of ten, mm-hmm. and it's always you know the damn if you do, damn if you don't. It's there, there's no winning. There's obviously yeah. no winning. Yeah, IGN's always gonna be that person that's always gonna get kicked in the head for no reason. I mean, they always get the hate no matter what they do. They yeah. got the hate for The Last of Us. They got the hate for SpongeBob, for God's yeah. sake. <laughs> they gave SpongeBob, I think, what was it like a five out of ten or something. And then people were just raging and going like, yep, you guys gave SpongeBob a 5 out of 10, but yet gave The Last of Us 2 a 10 out of 10 or whatever. Yeah, that makes sense. So there's always stuff like that. Um, One of the other questions I was going to ask you about journalism, uh, has it become more accessible for individuals? Not just for consumer, not from the consumer aspect, but um, also from wanting to be a part of it as well. But accessible in what way? Is it easier for some? For a consumer, I would say accessibility comes in facts of trying to get the necessary information or distributing the information in a timely, better matter. So what? Remember, you've mentioned it before. Game Informer was an old magazine. I don't, it's not around anymore, is it? I think it's still with the games, GameStop. Okay, because um, I've heard some stuff that it's been it's either been dwindling down or it's dead. I haven't heard anything in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> but I know that it was you know non-existent anymore. Um, but Way back when, uh, Game Informer, Nintendo Power, you know, those different ga- uh, magazines, those were your kind of like go-to places to get some reviews and people's thoughts on what the video games were and stuff like that. So if you wanted to buy the copy of like Resident Evil 4 when it first came out, right, mm-hmm. um, you would either buy the game and experience it yourself or wait for the issue of the next Game Informer to see what people thought about the game. And that's how you'd get most of your reviews done. But now with the internet coming up there or being more, you know, apparent in our lives now, is it more accessible for people to find what's necessary? Or is the internet way too saturated that finding the correct information might be a little bit difficult? And this is from the consumer perspective. Uh, from, from a consumer perspective, I think if you know what you're looking for, if you're looking for a review for a game, it's easy to find. I mean, you're going to find so many and obviously the higher up, you know, websites are going to be the first ones you see on your Google search. But um, well, usually what I do, I mean, it's what anyone should do if they're looking to get into video game journalism. Um, 
read find the article and go with two other sources, two other media outlets, and kind of compare their writing styles. That's what I usually do. Mm-hmm. So if I read a review from like IGN, I'll go read a review from Kotaku, and then I'll go to like another like smaller website just to kind of see, you know, if they all kind of align themselves or if they're all just going in different directions, just to kind of get a better understanding of where. I mean, I know that's a lot of reading, but. Um, you know, you gotta be it's just like any news. It's you gotta be careful what you're reading because some people skew more to, you know, that bias side, and some kind of leave it open to, this is what I think, and you know, like I said, go go see for yourself. If you want to play it, play it. Yeah. If you want to wait for a sale, wait for a sale. And so it's you know, there's no way to convince somebody to buy a game if if they played the first one, if they like Naughty Dog storytelling. You know, they should try. They should at least try it out and gotcha. see for themselves. So you mentioned that you would go from big outlets like IGN, Kotaku, uh, to other different ones that might not be so heard of, to smaller uh, companies or individual uh, freelance writers, essentially, to find their reviews. Now, yeah. what qualities would you look in those people? Because from my experiences and from what I've been seeing, you know, sometimes a big company. Let's just say, let's put IGN as the example, right? Mm. IGN is the big company compared to a small independent creator that's got about 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, right? Mm. So IGN will look at The Last of Us 2 and say, this game is an 8 out of 10. It's got these great aspects with minor inconveniences. And that's why we think that it's probably one of the best PlayStation exclusives to come out in 2020. Then you look at the independent creator, and the independent creator will come out with The Last of Us 2 after maybe two weeks of playing it and putting in about 40 plus hours of work into it. And they come out and say, yeah, you know what, The Last of Us 2? I think it's a 4 out of 10. It didn't do these things great. These were the inconveniences. And the only highlights are overshadowed by the negative portions of it. So when you look at these two, and then in the middle, you still have, you know, people still claiming it to be a 7 out of 10, an 8 out of 10, 8.5. Should what qualities should you be looking for in video game journalisms to make sure that you understand why someone like an independent creator might be giving a small score compared to everyone else? Um, because I think that that's where most of the people are having their trust issues. You have a company who you can, you know, pretty much claim and speculate they're getting paid by the industry and they're getting paid by the developers to write good scores compared to an independent creator that had to buy the game for themselves. They didn't get the early copy. Um, They had to put in the work themselves during its release and then come out with an article for themselves to distribute out to the internet. And they're the ones giving it a negative score. So Um, what qualities essentially should you be looking for? Well, the quality should be something. Well, it should be about the content itself. It should. It shouldn't be, you know, how the person individually felt when playing it. It should be about you know what the game is overall. You know, the the, the graphics, the writing. You know, just the, the what well, the core of the game of what it is. Um, when it comes to the IGN article that gave it a ten out of ten. A lot of the a lot of the, his writing in this in the review was kind of he it was kind of like he was trying to convince you to believe that it was a ten out of ten. If you read his review, it's yeah. I, when I was reading it, it was just, it's him trying to convince you that it's a ten out of ten. It doesn't feel that he's talking about the game being a ten out of ten. So that's kind of what um, that was the IGN article. Yeah, he talks about like the game, the pacing, and he talks about all that. But it's just him, his writing is just, and it's, it's, I don't know, I have to read more of his work, but it seems more of like, I'm convincing you, this is the 10 out of 10, you need to play, play this game and take my word for it. But if it's not, uh-huh. it's not like, this is why the game is a 10 out of 10, because, you know, a, you know, the controls are amazing, you know, the trigger, you know, shooting was, was good, was great. It is none of that. It's just a story and the comparison to the first one oh. and the DLC, the, la- the left behind. So he focuses more on the story, which the story is good, it's, you know, but for it to be a 10 out of 10 and for him to say it, the, you have to talk about more of what makes the game great um, aside from just it having an amazing story. I want to know how the game plays. I want to know how 
you know, does it take a long time to load? You know, loading times is a big issue, um, especially when you start up The Last of Us 2. It takes about, you know, and I know they talk about PS5 being faster or whatever, but it takes about a good maybe like a minute for you to get the game loaded, and after that, it's, it's smooth the whole way through. I see. So, you know, that should be stuff that should be included in a review. You know, you want to know how well it's going to perform while playing. Is there any glitches? Is there any, you know, frame drops that you see experience? Any the AI? Was the AI great? Like, none of that's in the review, and that should be included in what makes the game 10 out of 10. There's times where I was playing the game, and I walk across a guy, and he doesn't see me. And then um, there's another part where I'm, like, oh, further from a person, and then he sees me. And I'm like, wait, how did how did you even see me? I was, like, way on the other side of the screen. I'm like, well, whatever, I guess. Like, he saw me. So <laughs> I have a um, one of my friends. Uh, his name's Matt. Uh, he's got his own YouTube channel, Serge uh, Siege a lot. And he did a video on The Last of Us before The Last of Us 2 came out and his thoughts on pretty much what he wanted to – or what he thought and what he saw of the first game. And it was funny because you mentioned like all these different aspects that you should be mentioning in a video game. Like the frame drops, the accessibility, uh, the, the gameplays, the mechanics, all these different things. And mm. in his review, he pretty much stated everything that was released in 2013. He was like, the game story is really great. You feel for the characters. You're really engaged throughout the whole way up from the beginning all the way to the ending. You have a feel for these characters. But then he went on and started to say that these are the negative aspects of the first one. Uh, Mechanic-wise, the gunplay isn't that well. Uh, you mm -hmm. can literally be standing next to a character with your uh, or uh, uh, an enemy with your head peeking out, and the villain will not or the enemy won't know pretty much that you're mm -hmm. there. Um, he's had like footage of Ellie essentially going from cover to cover, but literally passing by an NPC, mm -hmm. and the NPC does nothing, like literally ignores her. So you have those moments where things like that are pretty much apparent in the game. And he clearly stated it takes you out of that immersion because now you aren't necessarily playing the game and feeling like this is an intense moment where you need to be stealth, stealth, uh, stealth-like throughout the whole thing to get through it. You can kind of cheese some portions of the game, and that's where he had issues. So it's an interesting yeah. thing to see independent creators take apart things a little bit more. And then you have those big companies like IGN coming in and not mentioning any of those things and just kind of skimming through it and saying, yeah, The Last of Us 2 – Really great story, really great comparison by the first one, understanding where it went in the direction. Yeah, but mechanics-wise, yeah, it's decent. It doesn't make any yeah. sense, you know? And I think that and that's... Even in the review itself that he was writing for IGN, because um, it's parts where, like, you, you kill dogs, like, you know, the hunting dogs, and he's like, oh, as a, as a dog lover, it was hard for me to play this part of the game because, you know, it's he had to kill these dogs. And I'm like, okay, so, like, having to kill the dog... How does that have to do? With, what does that have to do with your review? Uh -huh. Like, like it doesn't. It doesn't have to do with your review. Like, why are you mentioning your little side note? Like, the side notes aren't aren't necessary. <laughs> yeah, and yet you still gave it a ten out of ten. I think it's and more it, of like the writer trying to put themselves in a position where you can sympathize for him or them yeah. or her. You know, him or her. Um, yeah. I think that's what the whole point was. Because they, the, you'll have it there too. I mean, there were writers for Doom Eternal that were essentially saying. Yeah, Doom Eternal was real great, and I feel really felt myself enjoying just blasting demon heads and whatnot. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like, great. Like, we don't want to know your experiences with the game. We just want to know what the game was like in general. Is there any, like, frame drops? Is it fun to play? You know, we don't care if you just enjoy blasting demon heads. That's not what matters. Mm -hmm. um, another, because I'm looking at the, meta, uh, the Metacritic scores for The Last of Us 2. And uh, one of the things that most people have an issue with, you know, uh, reviewer scores and user scores is that reviewer scores tend to be like when I look at a score or something like that, I usually want to see a bell curve, you know, uh, the zeros having a low point, And as you go up to the one, two, three, four, five, you start to have more common, um, more common scores. Right? So if a video game, put anything. Let's say the last, okay, let's just keep talking about The Last of Us 2 because it's the game that we keep mentioning and bringing up. You have a bell curve. You have an average score of about seven, right? So that's where the top of that bell curve is at. That makes sense because now you have reviewers and users essentially agreeing to a point where they say, this is a game that's straight up a seven out of 10 because of all these different things and you see similarities. More recently, though, you've been seeing a lot of user scores and critic scores 
being on opposite ends. So you'll have reviewers who are praising it and saying 8 out of 10 all the way up. Mm. And then you have user scores going from 2 all the way down to a 0. Yeah. Is there a but, problem with that kind of disparity there? Um, yeah, I mean, I, a lot of the times it's just people who want to hate on the game just to, for the sake of hating on the game because of the whole Joel being killed. And and they and the spoiler cast the spoiler cast that I saw um with the creator talking about it he's saying you know a lot of people who talk about when Joe died they stopped playing the game like they don't want to play it anymore uh-huh. and it's like okay but there is a re- if you play through it there is a reason behind why he died and the game kind of shows the ugly side of humanity um and that's kind of why I gave the game you know to eight point five because there is no good or bad guy in this game. Mm-hmm. It's just how you perceive people. Um, the way that you know you can you can go with Abby and like yeah, well, Joel killed her, her dad. Like yeah, she should have killed him. And like well, Ali, you know she killed Joel, and now you want to kill Abby because you know Joel was like a father figure for her. Uh-huh. So it's like you, it's like whose side do you are you on? And this is kind of why you know a lot of the reviewers are giving it such a high review because it's a it's a game that you haven't had where you don't where it, it can go either way it's more analytical and then you know I was reading some you know they're talking about the spoiler cast where it's it's more it's more of an analytical game story where you can kind of read it's like a book where you have different interpretations of why things happened the way that they did but uh-huh. when you have a game where it's 100 where you give it a 10 out of 10 or well 100 Metacritic, it needs to be a reason, you know, aside from just a story. I want, you know, it's for, you know, I see the Washington Post gives it a, ten, a 100 right here because, you know, the gore, the gore is just environmental storytelling and the fact that we feel the anxiety of playing with character. Okay. Which is, you know, I agree with, but I would have to read the whole review to see why they give it a 10 out of 10. But right now, what the big story, what the big news is, is with IG in Japan. Gave it a seven out of ten, and people are like, "Well, your own company doesn't even have a consistency with your game reviews," mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's kind of the pushback that they're getting as well. That the IGN Japan writer was more critical of the game itself, and not just so much of like, "Yeah, go I go PlayStation like this is this is the best game on." You know, 2020, they had game of the year. It's, you know, they kind of take their time and, and write a little bit more of uh-huh. what makes the game a 7 out of 10. So let me ask you this. Do you feel like users are hurting video game journalists and their credibility? Credibility, And the reason I ask this is because on Metacritic right now, because uh, I'm looking through all the, um, the current PlayStation 4 games. There's uh-huh. like a little side panel here, and it's by Metascore. So I'll look at like the top ones, like Persona 5. 95 Metascore, user scores an 81. Then we go to Dreams, which is another PlayStation 4 exclusive, 89, 8.8. Uh, we'll go further down. Dune Eternal, 87, 8.4. Final Fantasy VII Remake, 87, 8.0. And then, I don't know, we'll, we'll pick a random one that's in the 50s. There's one called Ash of God's Redemption, Metascore 65, user score 77.7. So there is, like, that's where I was saying, like, the bell curve kind of match each other right there. Mm -hmm. But then you have something like The Last of Us 2. And there's been other games. Let's not even just compare The Last of Us 2. Pokemon Sword and Shield. Pokemon Sword and Shield had an 80 Metascore, and their user scores of 4.6. They're two different, like, opposites, essentially. And when you look at the uh, user scores... Uh, they're all threes, twos, and zeros. Really, really, really low-end scores. Um, those numbers, when you read their reviews, aren't really justified in what they write. Yeah. So it's confusing because now you have individuals saying, I don't know, let's play Sword and Shield. I've Have you played any Pokemon game like Sword and Shield? or have you? Yeah, yeah I have Sword and Shield. I just haven't beat it. You haven't beat it. Okay. <laughs> so I've, I've put in about 25 hours into that game. I can tell you right now that Sword and Shield is probably somewhere along the lines of like a 7 out of 10 game, in my opinion. I'd recommend it to people. And the only reason why is because I enjoyed the story. I felt it was more adult. Uh, it was suited 
it, it, it's it's a story suited for adult Pokemon gamers. If you've been playing the franchise for a really long time and you wanted to jump on this one, it's really good. It's really interesting. It's still really kid cheesy, but it's got things in the game that I feel could be tolerable for someone of like our age, essentially. Um, I didn't like the fact that they didn't include every Pokemon in the game. You can tell the assets were being reused. Uh, the wild areas were kind of bland. They didn't really do much, so I didn't spend much time in there. I didn't feel like I needed to. Uh, the Pokemon battles were a bit more challenging, so I give it a little bit of higher score for that reason. So it's a 7 out of 10. And that kind of matches the 80 that I see here on Metascore. But then you have reviewers on here that essentially say, like, yeah, the game was just really bad because it wasn't like the previous versions of it. 1 out of 10. Yeah. So are those scores essentially hurting the credibility of video game journalists when you can kind of see where and how they're doing their jobs? Yeah. Um, and a lot of the times these people who are writing these bad reviews, they're, they, whether they have, you know, experience in writing or not, they're just kind of venting. It's, it's an area for them to vent and they kind of see it as like a Reddit forum <laughs> and they can just put, you know, say what they want give it a random number, and then leave their score there. Um, and that's why I think, I met it, and this is what Metacritic, I don't know how they run their website, but they can kind of, they should like filter out some of the stuff that is, isn't is justified, but then it goes around with censoring and all that stuff. So. Who did that? There was a game that did that. It was on Steam. I feel like it was Borderlands 3. I can't remember, but I remember there was a game where they was getting reviewed bomb for whatever reason. I think it was because something was really stupid about its release or something like that. And then Steam went in and started just taking off certain reviews that were that didn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Is that justified for a company to do? Like Metacritic, for example. If you have reviews that are one, twos, and threes with no clear consensus of as to why those reviews exist, is it justified for a company to come in and say, hey, you know what? These reviews are not representative of what most people think. Should we remove them or should it be freedom of whatever you wanted to say and have those user reviews stay on there? I mean, if it's justified, they should rev- they should take them down. Um, I mean, that would, you know, that, that would be the best bet because someone's just giving a bad review because, you know, it's like, oh, I don't like Ali's hair. Two out of ten. Like, okay. Like, that's. That doesn't. That's not a justified review. It it's isn't. Just, yeah. You you're not liking her hair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So it's. I think that with these user scores, take them with like a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. And kind of the you know. Yeah, the the second one, you know, Last of Us Two, had its flaws, but don't just review bomb it just because you don't like it personally. Like, give it a. The proper review that it that it deserves you know this something game, to help you know, out the consumers yeah rather than just exploding out with your opinion and essentially yeah. just yeah that makes complete sense i think in terms of what is being said right now between the two of us you are 100 percent right i think that when it comes to looking at pretty much the thoughts and consensuses of a video game you have to you know fact checked using a lot of different outlets and sites if you stick with one reviewer and that's your initial thought on it, okay, fine. You know what? It's fine. But you're harming people that are interested in wanting to know. I, for some reason, am really attracted into playing as Last of Us 2. Not because, you know, I think it's a good game or the story's really good, but the reason I was being brought into was because of those disparities. Why is it that users are saying it's a 4.0 and and reviewers are saying that it's over 80, essentially? Like, that's weird to me and i want to experience the game myself and understand it but most people don't end up doing that a lot of you know average gamers will essentially look at a game and see like ah but users are saying that this is a 4.0 i might skip it mm-hmm. and so it hurts the credibility of the game and it might actually be good there might actually be you know some legitimate arguments that could be said about it um, but users end up you know just ruining it for everyone else and I think that you are 100% right in saying that if you're looking to buy a video game or understand why it is that it is, you know, why it, it received the scores or there is such a disparity, look into your reviewers. You have, and most reviewers have, because I think GameSpot does it now, you can click on their link or there's like a, a hyperlink on the uh, mm. reviewer's name that leads you to like their previous works, uh, mm. their socials, and anything like that information wise so you can kind of see where they've had experiences in writing uh before 
So yeah, I think the same thing. Um, like the person who wrote the review for uh, the Last of Us Two, he's the host for their PlayStation podcast. Yeah. So that's probably another reason why people are kind of angry about um, his review because he, like you know, people are gonna call him a fanboy, and he, of course it's a ten out of ten. A PlayStation fanboy wrote this article, like, so you know that's you know another reason why people would be mad about. You're always gamers. The gaming community is such a harsh wasteland. Uh, That's the way I can see it. You have people that are going to be either really, really radically angry about the concept of a video game for no justifiable reason. And then you have your people that are going to shill for a game constantly because they love the franchise. And I feel like it's always really hard to find that medium aspect in the video game community. There's really no medium, I would say. It exists, but it's like not really looking, looking at the, the reviewer his, his um work he's the one that also reviewed the spongebob game <laughs> so he gave so he gave last of us a 10 why would you that's that see that's the problem that's where they have an issue because why is he gonna write for the last of us 2 and then jump into spongebob and be like yeah it's a 5 out of 10 that doesn't make any sense Games. I would even. I would honestly say that the writer or the one who should have reviewed the SpongeBob Rehydrated game should have been the same person that wrote the uh, review for Spyro, mm-hmm. uh, the Reignited trilogy. Because that game, I put in. I would say maybe a good ten hours into that game. I I'm gonna go back and beat all three of them because I really love Spyro. But that game was fun. I I really enjoyed the whole like reimagining of like the levels, like just the 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 vibrant colors and the way it was reworked. Spyro like walks around and glides flawlessly. Like I enjoyed the game. So why not let the same reviewer review SpongeBob? It's he did he did review the trilogy. Oh, did he? Yeah, he gave it eight point five. Oh, okay, then I take it back, so then it makes sense. That's just a weird <laughs> jump for me. That was a yeah. weird jump. It's like, yeah, we reviewed The Last of Us 2, but I'm also going to review SpongeBob. <laughs> it's just a weird thing. Um, to end pretty much this last question, and I think I, we kind of answered it in this previous uh, little segment, but uh, are video game journalists undervalued? Yeah, I believe they are. They, they have a tough job. I mean, dealing with the having to deal with the internet and trolls, it's 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 a a rough industry, and you know, but it does it comes with the job. You know, it's you know that there's gonna be trolls. Do you, you know you just gotta have to ignore the trolls and and know that you know what you say is your word. It's your words, and if someone doesn't agree with it, if if they have a justified reason to say what they're gonna say and not just troll, then it's like okay, give me the criticism that I you know constructive criticism and I'll take it. Uh-huh. But if you're just gonna hate on me just because I'm, you know, a PlayStation fanboy, that's not really constructive, and and you're just kind of hating me because of the fact that I, you know, only play a PlayStation game. It, it, so, it's yeah, I completely understand. It, it's it's unnecessary hate, and it's it pushes people down. But I think, in some ways, because I do agree with you that some journalists are undervalued. Just because it is a tough thing to go through, um, you write a review for a game, and if it's a highly anticipated game and it's the wrong review according to what people want, you're gonna get hate for it. But they also do some self harm to themselves. Um, did you hear about the whole Dead Cells situation that went on? No, I did not. On the IGN, you know, you know the game Dead Cells, right? Yeah. Okay, so uh, one of the IGN or the main, the 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 editor or the writer, I don't know what they were, but. Uh, they wrote the review for the Dead Cells game. And uh, some uh, people that were watching the review noticed that it was pretty much a copy-paste review of an independent YouTuber who didn't have a lot of subscribers at the time. And they called him out on it and said, you're pretty much using... Oh, you're talking about the copyright, the, the plagiarism. Yes, the plagiarism oh, uh, aspect. Yes, yes, yes. I heard about this. I just didn't know it was for that game. But yeah. yeah, I did hear about the plagiarism. So that's self-harming the journalist's integrity. And not just that, but the integrity of other journalists as well. Because now what are you going to say? Are you going to say that journalists don't play games? Uh-huh. And and people like, um, what was it? When Cuphead came out five years back, there was that video of that Kotaku writer, I think. It was a Kotaku reviewer. I don't know if they came from Kotaku. It might be 
saying it incorrectly, but that the writer for the the that was supposed to review Cuphead couldn't even get past the se- the, the tutorial stage of of the game. <laughs> you laugh and I'm just like, yeah, because it was kind of funny, but it's like yeah. they hurt themselves, like they hurt the integrity of everyone else because it's literally the tutorial, and you're gonna base it off that and then say that Cuphead was a game that was impossible to beat, dude. I beat that game and it was fun as heck. Like it was, it, it, I enjoyed the crap out of the game, and I enjoyed the abuse that came with it when it came to deaths that were some BS deaths at the time, but I enjoyed it. But I felt like reviewers like that who can't even get through the tutorial stage and then complain afterwards, hey, you know what? This game is way too tough and not as enjoyable, even though the art is fantastic to see. It's just not an enjoyable game. They're hurting the integrity of other journalists out there because now of them, we have to ridic- – or you know, the internet feels like they have to ridicule everyone else. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's – it's, they're undervalued. That's what mm-hmm. I think is that they're undervalued, yes, but they also hurt themselves because they don't call out individuals in their industry that need to do better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like there's any way that we can make it so that the internet values them a little bit more and kind of eases them in? And what can they, what can journalists do essentially, or even companies per se, from your perspective? Um, I mean, now with the internet the way it is, there is, I, I think it's just an impossible task. I think game reviewers and websites should just keep doing... I mean, what they're doing is, you know, they're doing the best that they can. Yeah. And, like, you know, you can't control all the trolls. And I think it's just going to have to be, you know, an unfortunate side of the gaming community. It's, you can't please everybody. Mm-hmm. And those who aren't pleased are the ones who are the most vocal about it. <laughs> yeah. They're... So they're... There's always this saying that goes on that usually the loudest voices are usually the the loudest voices are usually the smallest group on the internet. They just want to make themselves seem bigger so they speak the loudest. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's true, but that's pretty much like a saying that they have on there. So I think you're right. Eh, the internet just needs I feel like the internet just kind of needs to relax a little bit on this. It's essential to call them out where necessary. Call out the dead cells writer for doing the plagiarist stuff. Call yeah. out IGN, you know, for certain things that they do when they pretty much release things that don't make any sense. That's perfectly fine. But games like The Last of Us 2, it's a difficult game. It just came out, and I feel that it's one thing to watch the game, and it's another thing to play it. If you experience and people it. have different attachments to the franchise itself. Like, yeah. you know, when someone plays The Last of Us 2, and they remember the first one and, and how they felt when they played it, and then you play the second one, it's a whole different, it's a whole different type of game. Yeah, and people want that first one because I mean, again, we waited seven years for this game to come out, and for it to just end the way it did, and have Joel die, who was such a big character in the in the first one, because you play as Joel in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just he. It's you don't want to see your hero go out the way that he did. No, of course, yeah, yeah, Glenn from The Walking Dead, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I think that this is a good point to uh, end today's episode uh anthony i i want to thank you again for coming on this podcast um is there anything that you want to plug in before we leave uh yeah i'll plug in um project Icarus gaming or the website is pig.gg uh we are a small but growing uh website we do reviews we do we have a group of streamers uh we have our podcast every friday um at 4 p.m. No, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Um, if you're an aspiring uh, game game journalist or streamer or even into esports, check out our website. Uh, we we take in applications all the time, um, and you just be interviewed, fill out the, the paperwork, um, and you can join our team if you're interested. All right, all right. I'll go ahead and plug in those uh, the links in the description oh. below if you're listening to it on YouTube. Um, if you guys are on Spotify or I think it's just Spotify. Yeah, it's just Spotify. I'm thinking about the other one. Um, but if you guys are listening to this podcast on Spotify, it'll also be in the description on Spotify's channel as well. But if you guys want to link over to the YouTube channel uh, for this episode, go for it. The dis- it'll be in the description below. Uh, any personal socials you want to plug in besides Project Icarus? Uh, yeah, I'll plug in... Um... So you can follow me on Twitter, my Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Jolly Jugs. And my Twitter is 
it's at Jolly Jugs underscore pig, capital P I G. Um, and yeah, just follow me there. I'm usually on Twitter uh, for the most part when, I, when it comes to gaming news. Perfect. Awesome. All right. Anthony, thank you so much again for being on this episode with me. Um, like I said to the listeners, all the uh, links to his socials and Project Icarus will be in the description below, as well as my socials as well. Uh, if you're listening to the Spotify, YouTube will be on there. And if you're on YouTube, the Spotify link will be on there, as well as all the other socials that I'm, you can find me on in the description below. Uh, with that said, thank you very much, listeners, to this listening to this episode of Drinking Matters. My name is Brian. This is Anthony. We'll see you in the next one. Take care.